to testify and share together, to learn and to grow together. As Josh opened us this morning, we are continuing our study of the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do in some form, turn to and we will be beginning in uh, verse 32, going through the end of the chapter. The author says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve ourselves. After a pretty strong rebuke last week. Verse 32 starts with, but. In light of that, but. This week's text gives us an exhortation, a challenge, an encouragement, a, pu a push towards something better, a call to have faith. Divided this into three sections this morning. Remember, remain, and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this text. We thank you for those who centuries ago wrote down your words by the inspiration of your spirit in obedience, Lord, that we have them today to cherish, to study, to learn, to look to, Father, to see you and to know you, Lord. May, we, may your spirit guide us this morning as we study this text, as we embrace this text and this truth this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This text this morning is in the context of the author's immediate readers. It begins, as I said, with a reminder. Verse 32, the author says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. I suspect this morning that most everyone hearing my voice had a different experience than the target audience of this letter. For me personally, after I was enlightened, came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I was not persecuted. I was celebrated. At least the, the act of my putting my faith in Christ, the act of my baptism, it was a celebration publicly. There was no fear of any persecution. I suspect that that is most everyone's experience who's hearing my voice this morning. There was no doubt in my mind that I was saved. 
And praise God for that. Those doubts, those questions came later. But I remember so beautifully that time that I came to the saving knowledge of Christ, the time that I was baptized and the, the weeks and months following as, as God filled my heart and filled my spirit. I pray that that is each one of you's experience. Yes, life brings us challenges, but especially in those days and weeks after we come to the saving knowledge, there is this beautiful warmness and wholeness that I experienced at that time. I had hard struggles with sufferings. This world has fallen. This world is broken. This world is the realm of the evil one. There are hard struggles. Praise God. My whole perspective on those struggles changed when I came, when I was enlightened, when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But persecution, the reality of the situation was that persecution was not added to those struggles at that time. During the early days following their enlightenment, those who were the recipients, the immediate recipients of this letter, these believers had remained faithful. Even though it meant a hard struggle with sufferings as a direct result of their putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. If you're hearing my voice this morning and your experience was, was similar to these people, I would love to hear your story. This definitely, this persecution for faith definitely still goes on in the world today. Very much so in the Middle Eastern countries. When dealing with the Muslim nations. This summer, at the Rosedale Network summer conference known as uh, Multiply, a pastor by the name of Nate Olmstead and his family shared, and they also had an interview with a young man. They, they had, he, Nate and his family had planted a church, have planted a church in U Utica, New York. Through that church, they befriended Somalian Muslim man, a young Somalian Muslim man, and they led him to Christ. As a result of his turning to Jesus, his family kicked him out of the house. The community, the Somalian community disowned him. He received death threats, and some of his family members threatened suicide if he did not go back to the mosque, if he did not go, come back to the Muslim faith. This same scenario plays out all around the world today. The difference for this young man, he lives in a nation that gives him freedom for now to act on his new faith. His persecution was coming from his immediate community. There are nations in the world that if you speak your faith, you will die.
That doesn't happen so much in our little corner of the world. In fact, I, I would be interested to hear any examples of where persecution like that has happened in our little corner of the world. As I alluded to earlier, at least not yet. There is less and less tolerance for Christian perspectives in our nation, a nation that was founded on Christian principles, and more and more direct resistance to them. You look at the changes in our society over the past 25 years. You look at these statistics that come out about how many people are turning from their faith. How church attendance is dropping. We are on a downhill slope to a time in this nation. I believe that we will be facing similar persecution. During those difficult times of persecution, the target audience here had encouraged each other, helping each other to remain firm. That's what the church, that is going to be one of the main purposes of the church here in the U.S. as things continue to, to deteriorate. They were helping fellow believers who were suffering the same things that they were. Apparently, the recipients of this letter had risked their own reputation and public status as they suffered along with those who were thrown into jail for the very same thing. And in addition to that, when their property was taken from them, the author says they didn't fight and complain. They didn't demand their legal rights. They accepted it. The text says, joyfully. Their personal possessions, personal property were being plundered, were being taken from them, were being looted from them. And they accepted it joyfully. And they could do that because they had a big picture perspective. Verse 34 the author says, since you knew that, since you knew that, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They could do that. They could have the big picture. They could be joyful in the face of immense persecution and personal cost because they knew they had a better and abiding possession. That possession was eternal salvation. Salvation that would bring them into eternal fellowship with their Creator God. They were able to endure because they knew that better things were awaiting them in eternity. The word better in this text means superior in quality and reality. What was awaiting them? What is awaiting us? was and is better than anything, anything that the world can offer. That's the word better. The word abide here means to stay in a given place, state, relation, 
or expectancy. What was awaiting them was fixed. This better thing, the salvation that was awaiting them when they crossed into eternity was abiding. It was fixed. The author says they had a possession. It was theirs, not to be taken from them. It was better and abiding. It could not be taken away. It would not decay. Unlike the things, the promises, the physical things that we gain in this life, they are temporary. They decay even as we experience them in this life. Let alone a hundred years ago, a hundred years from now, when we're gone. Someone else will be in our house or our house will be gone. All of our prized physical possessions will be buried in a landfill somewhere. Or collecting dust on a shelf as a family memorabilia if the, if the world stands, which I don't believe that it will for that long. The believers were reminded of future tremendous rewards in part because of what God had done for them in the past. After this call to remember, the author calls the readers to remain. Verse 35, 36. The author says, Therefore, based on that foundation, the experience, the incredible, miraculous experience you've already had, based on that experience, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. These past hardships were going to continue for these believers, the original audience of this, of this letter. So they would need to continue to have patient endurance. The author insists, do not throw away your confidence. That is, do not abandon your faith in times of persecution. Now, when the author is saying this, he's not saying, bear down, you've got to just be strong enough, you've got to grit it out. The author is saying that on the premise that God has done it. Christ, the same power that was giving you to face those initial persecutions, is available to you to endure, to keep your confidence. Remember that. But the author goes on, but show by your endurance that your faith is genuine and sincere and that you will continue to do God's will. God saves us. God secures us. But he still calls us to obedience. That's what the author is calling his audience to here is obedience. They can only obey because Christ made it possible. And their obedience is a fruit of their faith in what Christ has done. But yet the author calls us and the immediate readers to have that confidence, to keep that faith. The author says, do not throw away your confidence. 
Verse 37 reminds us why. Why to not throw away our confidence. Why we can endure. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. For yet a little while. Now that doesn't mean tomorrow morning. These words were written thousands of years ago. Because you've heard it said, because it's true. Our time, the the existence that the world has had as we know it for 6,000 years is but a blip. And again, it's only, only for our point of reference. Because once we step out of this reality, time doesn't exist. But the author is using this for just a little while to remind us to endure. And that little while is going to be generations. Such faith means resting in what Christ has done in the past. But it also means trusting for what he will do in the present and in the future. Doing so will bring great joy today and heavenly rewards in the future. The greatest of which is eternal life. Verses 37 and 38 in our text are quotes from the prophet Habakkuk. When he wrote these words, evil and injustice seemed to be reigning in the nation of Israel. Like Habakkuk, Christians today at times feel angry and discouraged as we see what goes on in the world. The wretchedness that is acted upon, that is glorified, that is normalized, it is disheartening, it is discouraging. Habakkuk complained to God about his situation. And God's answer to Habakkuk is the same as his answer to us. Be patient. I will work out my plans in my perfect timing. The coming one, Christ, will come and will not delay. We close out chapter 10 with verses 38 and 39. Verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What do you think this means? I couldn't find a lot of commentators that quoted on it. What did he mean? And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I personally believe that it means that person never knew God. Never truly had faith. When you look at verse 39... The author brings the joy, and the verse starts, But we are not of those who shrink back. He was speaking of his self and his audience. 
But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Have faith. And I think you could add the words, I'm not adding to Scripture, but I believe it's implied. But those who have faith, and therefore, based on that, preserve their souls. Those mentioned here in verse 39 are in complete contrast to those in verse 29 that we studied last week. Verse 29, the writer knew that these readers in verse 39... That he, meant, that he refers to in verse 39, that he defines in verse 39, were not like those in verse 29, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. Dead. The readers had faith. Children of God have faith that assures our salvation. We can rejoice in the fact that we have that same faith available to us. This reality gives believers the foundation to learn from. Examples of faith and perseverance that are listed in the next chapter of Hebrews, probably, I think it's safe to say, the most well-known chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the faith chapter. Living by faith is far better than merely fulfilling rituals and rules. The examples of faith in chapter 11 can challenge us, will challenge us, do challenge us to grow in faith and to live in obedience to God each day. Josh will pick up chapter 11 on December 31st. The next four weeks, we will be focusing on the Advent themes. But in the meantime, as you reflect on our study of Hebrews, I encourage you to remember what the author told the, told the readers to remember here how God had given them strength to face persecution, to stand with others who were being persecuted, to not only hold loosely to their possessions, but to joyfully accept the loss of them. Joyfully accept the loss of them. I emphasize that point because we are a nation of materialism. Are we prepared to joyfully accept the loss of our material items? That's a lot bigger call than maybe we realize, maybe we, many of us understand. While we may not have faced persecution for our faith yet, our struggles with relationships, finances, Possessions, health, whatever your struggles are, however hard, however difficult they are, these are all opportunities to build our faith. For us to 
joyfully embrace the pain and suffering that comes with all of them. It doesn't mean they're not hard. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. But they are opportunities to prepare us for the persecution that is to come. Because when the persecution comes, there is only one way we're going to be able to face it. It's the same way that the, that the, the author's audience was able to face theirs. And that persecution, it is near. We're seeing it already in relatively, understand when I say this, relatively light forms. But this persecution is going to get intense. Our lives, if that time does come before we take our last breath, are going to be radically different. Radically different. And God is graciously and mercifully, through the sufferings that we face in this fallen world, giving us the tools we need to uproot idols, to build our confidence, to build our endurance, so that when, like the intended, the original audience of this letter faced their persecution, we will be conditioned to surrender our faith to the one who will carry us through the persecution. And based on those faith builders, hold on to your confidence. Endure. And finally, rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in the fact that we do not have to conquer evil. We do not have to defeat evil. Choose your word. We don't have to do this. It's done. John chapter 16, verse 33, as Josh read as, as we came together this morning. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christ doesn't say together, we have overcome the world. He doesn't say, you have overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, we are called to put our confidence, our faith, in that promise, in that finished work. Christ lived, died, and was resurrected that he may overcome the world and usher us into eternity with our Father. I pray that you know that reality this morning. I pray that as your trials and tribulations come, you are using them as the gracious gift that God intends them to prepare you to build your confidence, to build your faith, to build your endurance for the persecution that is to come. So that when that day comes, you will not be 
completely overwhelmed and leveled. But you will have things to remember of how God helped you, how God is very real and very present. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you so lovingly, gently, mercifully give us opportunities to build the faith that you give us. Lord, that after we turn to you and embrace the gift of the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, that it's just simply for us to put our faith in that reality. God, may we remember that. May we walk in that. May we rejoice in that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.